Hello, it's Julie Bindle, and today I'm speaking with Vishnavi Sundar, an independent filmmaker, a feminist, a writer, and a women's rights activist from Chennai, India. Many a times what happens is I just raise enough to be able to pay other people, but I never really cared about how much I am going to make because I want to do this anyway. And the film is going to be available for free for people to watch anyway, and it's going to be there for free forever. If you have a look at my earlier podcasts, you'll see that I interviewed Vaishnavi last year about being cancelled by the trans activists for daring to be a feminist and for daring to speak about women's sex-based rights. Now, here she is again, talking to me about her forthcoming film, which sounds amazing, necessary, urgent. So my current film is called Behind the Looking Glass. Basically, it is a feature-length documentary that is going to put together a collection of experiences of wives or partners whose adult male spouses have quote-unquote transitioned. And um, this was sort of at the back of my mind for a while, uh, ever since I was making Dysphoric, because I was constantly wondering about the family that is being left behind, especially somebody who is very closely related to that person. And soon after Dysphoric got done, uh, the thought kind of became a little bigger and bigger. And I was starting to wonder what it feels like for a partner when they're, you know, somebody who they have fallen in love with, decided to marry and spend nearly decades together, announces that they are transitioning and they are now you know, going down this road and they are just expected to just affirm it quietly. So then I started researching online, found uh, Trans Widows Voices website, read a bunch of uh, testimonies that wives had written anonymously. And I thought maybe there is merit in pursuing this as a film itself. I was initially not sure how many women would come forward and talk to me about their experiences and things like that, because this is a very tricky subject. Unlike dysphoric, where these women had transitioned and there were all all of these other psychologists and other people who were very willing to participate, this seemed a bit of a tricky subject to pursue. But uh, to my pleasant surprise, there were just so many women waiting for someone to talk to them about this. And then I realized that there is definitely a scope for this film. In fact, not just a short film, but a proper full-length documentary on this topic. That's that's what I'm working on right now. What some people would say, and I don't mean the trans activists, forget them. We know what they'll say. But what some kind of liberal-minded people would say is, isn't this prejudice? Isn't this just like when women go berserk when their male partners suddenly announce that they're gay? What's the difference? We can't underestimate the shock and... Uh, emotions of wives whose husbands suddenly announce they're gay. Let's just put it on record that it is just as shocking uh, to know that the partner that you have been married to suddenly announces that they're gay. But this was probably at a time when being gay was not accepted, being gay was looked down upon as a taboo and, you know, all of those things. But we are not at a time like that. And being gay and being trans have got absolutely nothing to do with each other. Because being gay is a sexual orientation. It has got nothing to do with a male member putting on wigs and costumes and getting themselves breasts the size of, I don't know, two watermelons, for example. Uh, there somehow seems to be the trend for all of these men that I have, uh, wives I have spoken with. Anyway, um, those two things 
can't be compared and i often notice this as an excuse for people to deride our uh, you know our effort in bringing forth the voices of trans widows because it's often like those what what about to right when i made a film on sexual harassment they were like but what about men who have been sexually harassed at workplace so these are the what about ways that i consider that we shouldn't take seriously but sort of plow through um, in getting the voices across of these trans widows because we are at least i am starting from the premise that sexual orientation and gender identity can't be mixed together so when somebody says this is the same as being gay you're being so horrible to these members who are coming coming out as trans uh, isn't it unfair well whatever be that male person's journey i'm not interested in that if somebody is interested in making a documentary about how the uh, males are feeling about the resisting wives they are welcome to do so but i am interested in the wives i am interested in how these wives have experienced this how they have perceived this when the husband has come out so to speak what is going on with their lives there seems to be a huge void in the conversation around what's going on with the wife and children and that's what i'm interested in so all of those other things that people often tell me oh isn't it like that isn't it like this what 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 women what about children what about this i try to not get into the argument because this is like one step forward 10 steps back right okay so another thing that the liberals might say is aren't you suggesting that all men that identify as trans women are autogynephiliacs they're all quote unquote perverts they all get a sexual thrill from dressing in their female partner's clothes and that's what makes it so distressing is that what you're saying of course i'm not saying that uh, and i'm not saying anything at all other than put together the stories of these women what their experiences are what i'm doing is providing them a platform and putting their stories together in the form of a canvas you know painting a picture on a canvas uh, if a majority of uh, the husbands in the cases of the women i have interviewed if their case has been you know sort of sort of porn adult history where they are looking at it at it from a fetishistic point of view then that's the story that they are telling me uh, there are also some women whose husbands were not pursued uh, were not sort of motivated by pornography for example there are those stories as well but a large majority of it and we can see it in a sort of an overwhelming way based on all that we see online the news that we consume there is a strong element of fetish involved in this again this seems like another way of saying but are you just saying that all of these men are like that no we are not saying that if people take a moment to understand and really read or watch what we are trying to say they'll understand that that's not what we are saying we are not generalizing a group of people although you know male violence is perpetrated by males there is a, <laughs> a huge uh, advantage in calling it male violence because a large majority of it is being perpetrated by men similarly a large majority of these people who are pursuing this trans identity quote and quote seem to be coming from the point of view of wearing a woman you know dressing up as a woman that gives them some sort of a sexual pleasure there is no harm in pointing that out at all tell me then some of the stories of these women because as you say their stories haven't been put together yet in a book form or a feature length film we see that there are groups that allow women to speak out and speak together but you're telling their stories so give us a taste of some of their stories please what i have done is i have tried to get women from so many different places so many different backgrounds so many different age groups some of them are married uh, some of them were just staying with their partners some of them 
have long separated from these partners and are now uh, much older and amazingly wiser and are able to look back at their life when they were young what had happened to them some have children some don't have children so the conversations that i've been having with them largely have been so different but at the same time so similar or another way of saying it is so similar yet so different from each other because the context matters and uh, what age group they are matters where they are from matters whether there is legal recourse for them matters and things like that so the stories of 18 women 18 women are um, going to be part of the film although i've talked to about 40 to 50 women uh, on 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 the basis of research and things but 18 women are in the film all of them are very different from each other so one woman unfortunately for her is still with that perpetrator because she, even though he is abusive and everything because she has a child she can't leave him yet because she doesn't have her own financial means to take care of herself and her child just yet and she can't talk about it with her family because family won't understand even if they do they won't know how to help because everybody is clueless when it comes to this and she has lost all her friends because everybody is just tiptoeing around her right now because can you just say oh that's horrible what he did to you you should just leave can they say that because they lose the social capital because you can't say that you're supposed to say you're supposed to affirm you're supposed to say your husband's stunning and brave why don't you just cooperate and become a lesbian now that's what you that's what the world is expecting you to say and for these women to stand up against it that's why their stories are not being heard because they are going against the grain they're going against the tide and saying no they are not stunning and brave listen to what uh, the side of the story that you never hear from the media and that's what i'm trying to put together and some of the women the older women they are talking about it from uh, from about a time when online pornography wasn't a thing and they're talking about how they were still so deeply entrenched with the fetish and the pornographic nature of this ideology even back in the day and now it was fascinating for me to hear because i was thinking where where do they get access to all of these things but apparently there were sources there were these groups that were distributing pamphlets booklets and things like that it was always there and and wearing women's costume has been a thing that has always been uh there you know part of the culture as they say you mentioned children and obviously your film isn't about the effects on children but this must come into it some of the stories of the women do they speak to that at all yeah a lot of them have children and in fact one daughter whose father transitioned back in the day has spoken in our film as well so though the focus is majorly on the wives and partners there is a significant section that i'm setting aside to talk about the effects of uh, this ideology uh, on children some of them are forced to call their fathers mothers some of them were you know when they were young asked to be fed by them and things like that breastfed by them quote unquote and things like that so they have also documented some of the stories that they have experienced growing up and how it was for them to be a uh, part of a society say in a school or in another sort of friendship circles within their neighborhood and things like that how they were looked at differently how kids were not allowed to go to their house because the parents are not sure that you know that's that's a kind of friend the girls need to have and things like that and the isolation they have talked about that a lot and uh, there is a website called children's of transition is run by this wonderful emma i'm sure you know you're familiar with she is in the film and she has basically talked about the dangers of it not just based on her experience but also the experiences of all other children of transitioners who have confided in her uh, she could sort of anecdotally explain the challenges with it because they're not allowed to talk about it you see what will they say even if they go to court and if they have to give a um 
sort of a testimony of sorts they are still expected to call them she call them mother and things like that so the challenge is insurmountable one of the creepiest things that i've come across deeply disturbing and upsetting um other men who take various chemicals in order to induce what they call lactation so they can feed babies it's clearly a sexual fetish and very dangerous for the baby and it must be utterly horrific for the mother do you touch upon those issues yes yes i definitely do in fact um emma has talked in detail about that as well where she talked about how these men are not interested in the child they are not interested in the actual child the well-being of the child whether uh, they want to you know give them all the all the i don't know the pleasures of uh, being part of a family give them good education make sure they go to great college no that's not at all in their purview what they want is the idea of being a mother quote unquote or the idea of being um a lesbian couple with a child who they claim they got through ivf and things like that so the idea of having a child is more thrilling than the child itself or the well-being of the child itself and in fact um there are some of the examples that she had given where uh, there was this family where the child is with the father who is trans identified and he would then bring a bunch of his friends over and all of them would joke about how if they take the child and walk around on the street people won't look at them differently because there is a child now everybody will just assume that this is normal this is just some woman with a child walking down the street so they would talk about how there is a business out there that can be you know made use of if there is a child that is willing to just walk with these trans identified males on the streets in order for them to pass more uh easily you know i so appreciate your work as you know i mean you combine human rights activism with feminism with all kinds of issues that matter more than ever i think right now and i was thinking about you recently when i was putting together a piece about the fetishization of pregnancy in women's bodies and obviously you and i have spoken together about the horrors of surrogacy about the trade in wombs but i remembered a trip that i made to cambodia to investigate the breast milk trade and we know that these three things go together very well don't they for the exploiters which is the pimping of pregnancy so surrogacy the selling the marketing of breast milk so literally taking the milk out of the mouths of babies because this milk then goes to feed the babies commissioned paid for by those that have rented a womb and then of course prostitution because many prostituted women who get pregnant either accidentally or because the pimp and the john have done it purposely actually end up with pregnancies from prostitution that end up where their babies are for sale so that holy trinity that triple-headed monster of surrogacy breast milk and prostitution is i think the tip of the iceberg when it comes to not just the capitalistic exploitation of women but the fetishization of of pregnancy 
for men's use. And I interviewed when I was writing a piece for Unheard men who get sexual pleasure from drinking women's breast milk straight from the breast during their pregnancy or when they've given birth. And we know that in brothels in Germany, for example, in legal brothels, men will pay extra to fuck heavily pregnant women and to drink their breast milk. Do you see connections with this fetishization and the work that you've been doing with some of the women in this film? I just want to point out that apart from all the other ways in which they're exploiting female body, there was uh, a news article where they're talking about using comatose women as uh, uh, wombs where they could grow uh, children into. You know, there there was a news article that had come out a while ago and that horrified me. And every day we wake up and we think we see a news item and we think, well, it can't get worse than this. And then it does. Right. So that's it's not just uh, the women that are alive that are trying to exploit. They're talking about using comatose bodies as, you know, just carriers of uh, babies that can be then used to either wealthy male families or these trans identified males who can use that to further develop their fetishes and things like that another uh, aspect that you brought about was the trinity and i would just like to add pornography into the whole mix pornography and prostitution if i can club them together here in india as you know prostitution is obviously a very huge market a, a lot a large majority of women are forced into it on a daily basis it's a multi-billion dollar industry and no matter how much people want to deny that uh, it's not exploitative it's a choice it's an economic freedom and things like that it is horrible for the person who does it for the women who does it unfortunately now the trans identified males though it's not now it has always been the case have also found a niche in the whole prostitution industry right now because these are males who cross-dress and probably have partial or no surgery but provide prostitution services where they make sure that the industry thrives because that's where they get a majority of their revenue from because as you know the hierarchy with which these uh, communities exist in india the social cultural hijra communities exist in india they're supposed to pay like a fee to their guru every day and two of the ways in which they do that is one is seeking arms and the other one is through prostitution so because these men have now come into the whole industry it has become impossible to tackle it where we're talking about male violence against women, it has no longer become about that. They just snatched the language away. We're not talking, we're not able to talk about trafficking because the organizations like Mama Cash is getting frustrated and has written uh, articles about how we need to have nuance in these discussions because if we say, if we um, tag everything as trafficking, then trans-identified males who are in this trade will lose their economic independence and things like that. It was some of the most bizarre things I've read in this past year ever since I've been vocal about this. Through the women that I have uh, interviewed for this film, the pornography and the prostitution element has been a recurrent theme because the men who seem to have the double life where they pretend that they have this, you know, the wife and family and everything seem to have another life as well, where they either prostitute themselves to other males or they film themselves performing certain acts and sell it. And that apparently also is part of the kick of being quote unquote woman. So I agree with you completely that porn prostitution, uh, surrogacy, and this whole usage of the female body has become like a fully blown palpable person now 
with the advent of gender ideology. Like you say, we keep thinking it can't get worse and then of course it does. But feminism, in my mind, is the most optimistic movement on the planet because we don't believe that male violence, misogyny, patriarchy is innate. There's no biological basis to it. And we continue to fight against this with all our might, against trans ideology, against rape and sexual violence, femicide and the like. But what's happening now and what scares me more than any time in my activism over the past four decades is how the liberals are on the wrong side of this debate when it comes to gender ideology. The be kind brigade, those that have taken the argument and accepted it, given to them about how this is the same as the fight for lesbian and gay rights in the UK in the 80s. They're the ones we need on side because they are the ones that make up the majority of decision makers, people with influence, those that are setting the agenda in our schools, in our institutions, with healthcare. How do you see this happening moving forward with a movement where some, some women, some that are against trans ideology, are actually very right-wing, are actually very anti-feminist. How do we navigate our way through this? Yeah, from the Indian perspective, I think it is very, very difficult to sort of clearly demarcate a left and a right wing because if we take uh, the union government and the state governments, each of them have discretionary power, the states have discretionary power. In some cases, the union government's thing stays. But when it comes to state interventions, majority of the states that we have in India are all liberal in nature, have all been, have always been liberal in their ideologies. There isn't a clear, you know, we are uh, Democrats, we are, you know, the conservatives and things like that. However, I agree with you that a large majority of people that are questioning this worldwide seem to be coming from, well, their motivation seem to be different from, say, a left-wing uh, woman, for example. We are talking about it from the perspective of freeing everybody of this stereotype, freeing everybody of this conformity, um, saying no to sexual slavery of women of any kind. But from the ideology of the right wing, we are talking about, well, we know what a woman is because we want her inside the kitchen is what they're saying. Or we, we know what a woman is because we want them to bear children for us endlessly, become a baby machine, et cetera, et cetera. So the motivation is the one that's uh, to be uh, you know discussed further. Over here, it's, it's challenging because these are people that are very, very otherwise clear about male violence against women, uh, sis. They know that rapes happen because uh, males do it. They know that female children are not wanted because that's just how it has been prehistorically. Even now there are villages where they kill baby girl children in India. How do we navigate it? I have thought about this a lot. And I think I didn't arrive here where I am right now, where I'm politically absolutely clear that I stand with women, I stand with women's sex-based rights. I didn't arrive here just overnight. It was quite a quite a journey for me as well. There was a time where I thought it was okay to say, uh, oh, let's just be inclusive of everything. You know, when I didn't know any better, where I did not read any uh, any books that were critical of this ideology. I'd like to think that everybody is 
either a film or a book away from radicalizing themselves you know it's just a matter of some event like some earth shattering event like what happened with the jk rowling essay that came out it's like the world basically went berserk if people had read it and these are all people who had you know vehemently supported this ideology and then they read it and then they had a change of mind a change of heart and then they started becoming critical of it and are now hardcore um, sex based rights champions right this has happened this journey has happened and it is possible and i'd like to think that everybody is just you know just one of those moments away from seeing the picture for what it is it might take some time and it might make a lot of us lose our friends and family it is true for me as well here it is very hard for me to find collaborators and you know find commission work to do anymore i don't have um paid jobs in india anymore which makes taxing tax and other things so easy because i have nothing to file <laughs> i have so but um there was a time when things were different and i have fought for as you know uh, the fight for uh, emergency contraceptive pills in the past and things like that i did i did stand in the front of all of that and i did manage to get those bans lifted and things like that that was a time when the indian media glorified my work they said she's a champion of women's rights and this and that but now there is the shadow ban again contraceptions are still hard to get but it is as if what i did in the past suddenly just got erased because of my views on the trans ideology right now it is as if what i did for women's rights back then and the fact that they supported me for it does not count anymore because that would mean that they have now supported this evil bigot this fascist this nazi this literal genocide creating person you know so a long answer to your very important question is that i think it's a matter of time it's a matter of time before people are able to see through this because when you have instances where there are these naked men parading around in front of children um, men participating in women's sports it is bound to peak ordinary people because ordinary people can't stand bullshit like that there is no there is no messing with ordinary people it is you know the intellectuals who would sit and you know i don't know the, the debate about whether there is a possibility of these two worlds to coexist etc no there is no such debates happening in a country like ours we have 1.4 billion people half of them are female getting abused raped molested on a daily basis we are not going to have that shit there is no middle ground in this whole debate for us at all you mentioned obviously being cancel being written off as a bigot having your work dismissed your screenings cancelled and we talked about this on this podcast last year uh, it's atrocious obviously so how are we now able to support you obviously there's a crowdfunder for your film and we need to shout from the rooftops about how brilliant you are and how everybody needs to see your work and be educated by it and contribute to it tell me how we can best do this because you are one of our finest resources when it comes to getting a message across in a way that is very very straightforward and very compelling yes there is a crowdfunder i wish that you know when i made this foric i made it during lockdown i just locked myself in dig myself a hole took my laptop in and then emerged only when the film was over i wish it was possible now but because of the anonymous voices of these women and the fact that they are just as important as the women who are publicly speaking out against it there needs to be a way there needs to be a way uh, in which i can portray them just as beautifully 
uh, as I would in a woman in any other film. So it's not like uh, I can just say that, oh, well, she's anonymous. I'm going to just show like a silhouette image of this woman speaking or have like a little literal violin music when she's talking about her sad story. That's not the kind of films I make. I make films in which women are formidable. Women are talking about their experiences in a way that they're not being uh, crushed by it. But the fact that they have stood the ground and have emerged victorious in, you know, in becoming in in seeing a better time in the future and that's the message that i want to give the women that are watching as well if somebody's stuck in the in a similar situation that's the message i want to put forth but as you can imagine filmmaking is an expensive uh, affair where there are uh, multiple departments that need to um, be taken care of which involves money and there are a lot of women that i work with i always work with women it would be such a shame to have women work with me and not be able to pay them so many times what happens is i just raise enough to be able to pay other people but i never really cared about how much i am going to make because i want to do this anyway and the film is going to be available for free for people to watch anyway and it's going to be there for free forever i i don't believe in wanting to make a film which is which has got such an urgent message and put that behind paywall that defeats the whole purpose. I might take a few months to maybe see, do some private screenings or, you know, hold such uh, discussions and things like that. And then immediately after that, the film's going to be available for free. So it's a resource, not just for me or for these women that are in the film, it's a resource for all of us. And I know, and I'm so grateful for women to constantly keep quoting dysphoric every now and then use that in their schools and colleges to pick their friends and things like that. That's my reward. I don't care for film festivals. I don't care for awards. That's my award. And through this crowdfunder, it it might be possible uh, for us to bring this film to life and um, you know really fill this void about the wives and children in this whole debate around transgender ideology. We have to have this film. We need it. I'll support you all I can. Will you be coming to Philia in October in Glasgow? There is a good chance. There is a very good chance that I will be coming. Yes, yes. I um I want to also show um from now till then how much ever I'm able to finish. I also want to show parts of that. I also want to be able to have those women probably come there personally and interact with other members who attend Philia and things like that. I have I have big plans. Sis. My plans are always so grand. Sometimes I forget the logistical part of it, but but the plans are there. Uh, and I want to make the most of it. Can't wait to see you and can't wait to see the film. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for listening. Please support Vaishnavi all you can. See you next time.